Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Amen. Let's take our seats. I was um, having a conversation with someone this week and I didn't quite understand why we sing and why we worship and why we praise God. And, um, you know, the highly intellectual person was like, well, I get the, I get the uh, scripture, I get the fellowship, but what is this singing about? What do I, why do I want to stand up and sing? Isn't that an odd thing to do? And my first thought was, maybe he's not had the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That was my first thought. Jesus said, the time is coming when you'll worship me in spirit and in truth. And that was an argument about, uh, with the woman at the well in John about uh, who, how we should worship, whether it's on the mountain or the temple or anything like that. And Jesus said, no, this is a spiritual thing. And just as we were singing there, um, we were singing, lift up our voice, the king is coming. And in Luke chapter 19, you see uh, the king riding in on a donkey and all these people, all the crowd of disciples just start singing and praising and worship saying, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory on earth. And the, disciples, and the Pharisees, the religious people are like, like, sort your disciples out. They're getting too excited. They're getting too much full of praise. They're getting, what is wrong with these people? And Jesus says, come on, if these don't sing, even the rocks will cry out. So if you're sitting there like a rock and you don't feel like <laughs> singing and crying out, I say, come on, get some excited. And I think when we have that revelation of who the King of Kings is and the Lord of Lords is, how can we not but sing? And if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe this is all a bit intellect, you know, your approach to God is intellectual. And, and I think, yes, it does need to be intellectual. We do need to know what we believe and have an understanding of it. But I think there's something within us that gets us stirring up and passionate for God. And we just can't help but sing. And if we don't sing, the very stones of the building will start to sing and worship God. Ah. I didn't do that for applause, and that's not what I'm preaching about. But I'm just getting you going, getting you moving. I need some grace this morning to preach this message because this is about forgiveness. And uh, I don't know who this message will resonate with or touch with. And, and I think we can all look to times in our lives when we've maybe been hurt or maybe we've hurt others. And, uh, you know, we've felt that guilt and that weight of it. And one thing we know with Jesus, he comes to take away our guilt. And as we come to Christ, we come in an attitude of repentance. Repentance, that means to turn around, to change our way of thinking. We were going this way, now we're going that way. And we're no longer people that fight evil with evil. We're, we're no longer look those who are trying to take our vengeance upon others. We're looking for a heart of forgiveness. We're looking for a heart of love. And that's what I want to minister this morning. And we, we've been talking about Joseph. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning. And it's kind of to the point where he seeks reconciliation with his brothers. It's a powerful story. And every time I read this, I think, you know, who is this man Joseph? You know, is he some Christ-like figure that has the ability, after 20 years of hurt and pain and suffering, he hasn't held on to that bitterness, 
who is this character? And I know he trusts in the Lord. And I know he looks to the Lord and he hears from the Spirit. And I talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, so I won't go over that again. But we're at the point of the story. Joseph has risen to power in, in, in Egypt. And he is over everybody apart from Pharaoh. He is in charge of everyone. And I'll, I want to look at how that reconciliation, that restoration of that relationship. You know, Joseph was a Christ-like figure in the sense that he was called to save his nation. And he'd risen to power, but he still had this humility about him and his ability to forgive and his ability to love. And we know this story. Joseph was sold into uh, slavery by his, by his brothers and... Um, his brothers are now starving, and uh, Joseph, has, has, uh, in his wisdom, in God's wisdom, has, has saved the nation, and uh, now he needs to save his family too. And you know the story, he plays some tricks on his brothers, uh, testing them to see if they've learned their lesson. There's the thing with the cup, and um, it's the ultimate test. Do they sincerely care for their brother Je- uh, Benjamin? And Judah speaks up and offers himself in the place of his brother. That just gets me every time. But this act then proves to Joseph that, that they've, they've um, learned their lesson, and it cuts him to the heart. That's where we pick up the story. You know, it's that willing sacrifice of Judah uh, that, that turns his heart to offer himself. Anyway, we're gonna, I want to show a little video clip. This is from uh, The King of Dreams, uh, it's a dream work movie. It's probably a good 23, 24 years old. This, this is coming out. And you may not see this online, um, various reasons, but um, can we go?
Now, that lovely, lovely story it brings me like, wells me up every time. I thought I just had to show that. This is Genesis chapter 45. Joseph says to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And do not be distressed or be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. What an amazing thing. He says he starts to reassure them and fear not. And he is seeking reconciliation. That line, do not be angry with yourself. And, and I think the brothers have learned their lesson and they also have to learn another lesson about forgiving themselves. And forgiveness is such the very heart and nature of the gospel without knowing that our sins are forgiven. We don't know that we're part of a new creation. We don't know that we have this resurrection hope. We don't have any hope. It says if you're without Christ, you're without hope. And this is why forgiveness is, is really just part of our DNA. It's part of our everything. It's how we overcome evil. Paul writes to the church in, in Romans, and he says this is the mark of a true Christian. And he says this, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I love that scripture that says it depends upon you. Paul's then putting the emphasis back on, on us to say, live peaceably with people. But you need to work at these things. And we don't defeat evil with evil like the world might suggest, but we always overcome evil with good. That is the gospel. The gospel turns upside down the world, turns the world on its head. Jesus says, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to be the servant of all. If you want to find life, then you need to lay down your life. Paul says, in weakness is where we find strength. The gospel is all about turning things upside down. And that's when Joseph said, back to our story, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God has turned it around. See, Joseph refused to become bitter. But... It's easy, if, you never, if he never saw his brothers again, we would never know whether he had held on to this grudge, held on to this bitterness. But this is the ultimate test. Here they are. And, and we need, then we begin to see, is there any resentment 
in his heart? Has he carried the hurt and the pain that he then wants to continue and hurt others in bitterness? If we believe in forgiveness and reconciliation, if we believe it's, it's possible, then we, we, we can't hold on to that grudge. You know, Jesus took our sins, our guilt on the cross and we receive forgiveness. He sets us free. The scripture says who the son sets free is free indeed. But how could we forgive somebody like Joseph? Is that even possible? Joseph, 20 years since his brothers sold him into slavery and he's been through accusations, he's been through prison, he's, he's you know, just been through all this pain. Yet he didn't hold on to the hurt. He didn't blame others. And he shone bright with the presence of the Lord. And the Lord kept promoting him wherever he was. If he held a charge in bitterness, he wouldn't have had the character that was needed to save the nation. In Genesis chapter 50, 17 years have gone past. And the brothers are in fear because now... Their, their father has died and maybe they're thinking Joseph just waiting for the opportunity he wouldn't kill us while dad was still around but now dad's gone you know what what's happening you know and they come to, they come to him I'll read that one Genesis 50 18 he reassures them and his brothers wept and they fell before him and he says we are your slaves but Joseph said to them do not be afraid am I in the place of God even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good to preserve numerous people and he's doing this today. You know, whatever pain and hurt, we have to believe that God can turn it around for the good. That's Romans 8, isn't it? That God is able to turn things around. And maybe in our humanness, in our weakness, we, we maybe don't have the ability to forgive like Joseph. Maybe we're... Uh, when maybe it's just been too painful, it's too hurt that you can't even talk about it. And if you see that person, you know, it just stirs up everything that's ever happened and you just go over it again and again in your mind. But can we be so full of the grace of God and the love of God that that grace just flows out of us? Is that possible? There are times when we need to acknowledge, listen, God, only you can do this. In my own strength, I want to fight back. In my own strength, I want to talk about them behind their back. In my own strength, I want to gather others around my offense and build power to that offense and tell everyone how terrible they are. And then if they understand that, then I can get sympathy and that will ease my pain. But it, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work, does it? But how can we find the strength to forgive? Jesus talks about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18. I'll just jump in at verse 15. He says this, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out their fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take two or three witnesses along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen, then go to the church and let the one be like a Gentile or a tax collector. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Truly, I tell you, if two of you agree about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among you. You know, if we're going to gather together to deal with a sinning brother or sister, Jesus ought to be one of those two or three. And he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know what Jesus does? He just shows his scars on his hand and on his side. And he says, have you suffered to the point of bloodshed? How far have you suffered? But Peter says, we'll carry on. Lord, if a member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven? Seven seems like a righteous number, doesn't it? That sounds good. I can forgive him seven times. But Jesus says, not seven. I tell you, 77 times. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that I'm not like we get to 77 and then 78 and you're done. I think Jesus is saying forgiveness is some constant attitude. It's There's always an opportunity to get hurt and get offended. There's always someone out there that will point at something in you that just riles us up. Maybe that's just me. But when we come into agreement with Christ, you know, if we can come into agreement, he says, then you have heavenly power. You have spiritual power. And that's when he's talking about this binding and loosing. Because you know unforgiveness just binds you up. Just binds you up. And Jesus says something's happening when you loose, something gets loosed in heaven. I'm part of this. Jesus is part of this forgiveness. He's part of this helping us to get through this. And we come into agreement with Christ. Christ is present with us. Christ, we know, was crucified for our sins, not for his own sins. They thought it was a punishment from God, Isaiah says, but it was our sins that he bore. It was our offenses that he took. And he did this in order to reconcile the world to God. He did this. And Jesus sets an example right there on the cross, doesn't he? He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, the sin of the world entered into Christ, but it didn't come out. There wasn't the reviling. There wasn't the cursing. There wasn't that coming out. What had happened was that sin died in him, and he died. Now, I'm not saying that we are able to be like Christ in that way, that when someone sins against us, that it's able to die in us. But that is the example that comes out comes out of him, his father, forgive them. And they knew exactly what they were doing in the sense of they knew how to kill a person by nailing them to the cross. They knew exactly what they were doing. But if they'd known he was the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have done this. So they didn't really understand what was going on. But Jesus would say this. He said, listen, I need to go and I need to suffer, but I'm going to rise on the third day. And they didn't understand what he was talking about. In Matthew 18, are you still there? To give an example, Jesus tells the story of the unforgiving servant. And the servant goes, the story goes, the servant owed a lot of money and uh, he was unable to pay and he begged for forgiveness and the master forgave him. But even though he was forgiven, he refused to pass that on to others and he finds another servant who owed them a small amount of money and he demanded it from him and threw him into prison. 
and the capacity of a human being to forget God's gracious gift of forgiveness and allow the smallness of our soul to breed unforgiveness is a soberingly warned against us in this parable. It's like that servant didn't realize, didn't remember how much he was forgiven and then he didn't pass it on. And in the end, what happens to the, to the unforgiving servant, that he ends up in prison and he's bound and he's tortured. And I think Jesus is showing here how unforgiveness can restrict what God is able to do in us. That's that binding of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness, in the end, will place us into the place of torture, into the place of uh, imprisonment. And that will take a toll on our mind, our body, our emotions. But I think he's talking about that every kingdom person here is advised to sustain a forgiving heart towards all people. And that binding up, you know, he doesn't want us to be bound in unforgiveness, but he wants us to, to be free and then enable us to set others free. This, this binding and loosing is shown to be a, a, a spiritual thing, a heavenly thing. You know, when we forgive, there's so much more that's going on than just us forgiving. It's like we're all releasing the power of God into the situation. And I tell you what, if you're struggling in a situation, release the power of God into it. Be free and have that ability to be able to free others, I think is, is a supernatural thing. But Jesus warns them, doesn't he, in uh, verse 35, and it's not so much Jesus is getting into a, a legalism here, because remember, Christ forgave us while we were yet sinners. But he gives this stern warning, doesn't he? And he says, when, the, when this evil servant, unforgiving servant, is thrown into jail, he says, so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Anger and hatred is not something that we want to carry up with us. We need to set before our eyes God's compassion. How much was God forgiving towards us? How much have we freely been forgiven that we can start to forgive others who've perhaps done us an injury? And to forgive them out of the consideration, not on based on what they've done or the size of the hurt, but based on how much have we been loved. He says if you... If you've been loved much, you're able to love much. And when we forgive others, it releases us and it releases them from imprisonment. Free people can freely forgive. And hurt people hurt people. Isn't that the truth? I don't know who first said that, but hurt people hurt people. But free people free people and freely forgive. Even the servant in the parable even though it was a small debt and he'd been forgiven so much, he put someone else into prison, but it's actually him that ends up in prison in the end of the story. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Because we've been freely forgiven, we can forgive. Bear one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you so you must forgive. Back to our story in Joseph. He's testing his brothers. 
isn't he? He's saying, are they kind of worthy of the, the love and acceptance? Has their hearts truly changed? And I think if he hadn't let go of that hurt already, that moment when Judah steps up and says, take me, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for my brother. And if he hadn't let go of that hurt, I think that's the moment he probably would have done. Not to take an account of an evil done to us. And then he turns it around. He says, listen, you meant this for evil, but God turned it around for the good. And when we ask ourselves, can we forgive? Can we remember that we were once dead in our sins and our trespasses? Were we once without hope, without Christ in the world? And I'm closing with this. How can we forgive? I think it's the revelation of what Christ has done for us. It's also the revelation that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. You know, a lot of people think, well, I'm relatively a good person. What do I need forgiveness for? But the truth is, the scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, if we're comparing ourselves to ourselves and our own metric, then we can seem like we're a reasonable person. But the scripture says we're not comparing ourselves against ourselves. We're comparing ourselves against the ultimate holy, holiness of God. No one will see God without the holiness of God. And a revelation is that in our old nature, our human nature, that we are cut off from God. And no matter how many amount of good works we do will not qualify us. If we think there's some kind of heavenly scale, I'm not as bad as, you know, I'm not as bad as Hitler, but I'm not as good as someone else. But what kind of metric are we using to measure our own goodness? But I think it's when, you know, when Peter first met Jesus, he fell on the ground and he said, get away from me, I'm a, I'm a sinner. And it's that realization that even though perhaps he was a good, good Jewish boy who tried to follow all the commandments, he realized that in the face of Jesus Christ, he was nothing but a sinner. And we don't want to hold on to that revelation too long because we need to understand forgiveness. We need to understand what Christ has done for us and how he has turned things around that we can stand in, we can have boldness in the day of judgment, the scripture says, because of the love of Christ that shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if we've got that revelation that we're just a sinner, then we'll all become self-conscious, self-focused. And God says, I want you to be God-conscious. I want you to be God-focused. That we start to take our eyes off ourselves. Yes, we were once dead in our sins and trespasses. This is Colossians 2 in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God has made you alive when he forgave all your sins and your trespasses. When did Jesus Christ forgive your sin? When did he do it? Over 2,000 years ago. How do we enter into it? By faith. And we accept Christ into our lives. And we repent of our old life. We repent of the life that we've lived without us. That, that dead, death, dead in our sins and trespasses. Paul can't make it any clearer 
There's no way in your natural self that you will be accepted by God without Christ, without his death, without his resurrection. Otherwise, Christ died in vain. And without the resurrection, you are still dead in your sin and trespasses. He erased the record that stood against us with all its legal demands. He set this aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he made a public example over them, trying for them in it. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Christ is not bringing a charge because he has forgiven us, because he has cleansed us and he has washed us. I tell you, if you understand forgiveness and you understand the freedom that Christ has given you, then you understand what it means to be a new creation, that old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you accepted Christ into your life? Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you had the reassurance that your sins are forgiven? Can you fall upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with the love of God? Do you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit within you? Do you know what it means to be a new creation? Do you know what it means to be free from guilt? that you can freely forgive, that you can walk this Christian life. I remember as a teenager saying to, to Gary Hunt, God bless him in glory now. I remember saying to him, listen, I can't do the Christian life. I can't do it, it's too hard. I can't be this good person. I'm a preacher's kid, a pastor's kid. I can't live up to the expectations. I can't do it. And he said, wow, what a revelation. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit because he can. He can. He can. He doesn't want to leave us in the revelation that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. He wants to bring us into the, the aliveness that we have with Christ and that relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that you paid that price for our sin that you bore our sin and our trespasses. You took the charge that was against us in our fallen, dead state, and you brought us alive. Lord Jesus, we choose to leave our old life behind. We repent, Lord, of all the things that we've done to grieve you and cause you pain. Even our unbelief, Lord, has caused you pain, and we repent of that unbelief towards you. And I ask, Lord, you take out the heart of stone and you give us that new heart, that heart of flesh, that heart that is able to love, that heart that is able to forgive, that heart that is able to enter into your presence with a clean conscience, knowing that you have forgiven us, knowing that you have restored us and knowing that you have given us life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.